It's always neat when they can come in and join with us in worship. Thanks for coming, guys. If you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to open up the book of Matthew. This morning, we're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 22. And as this morning is, yes, what I do. Wait, wait, wait. Let me see what they start. <laughs> the alarm's going off right now. No. <laughs> Man, if I throw them in church, I will ding somebody right in the head. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen at Calvary Chapel, let me tell you. So, if you got your Bibles open in Matthew chapter... 22. Here's what's going on. This morning is, is Palm Sunday. It's the day that we celebrate. It's the day that Christ came into Jerusalem. It was a day that the prophets foretold that Messiah would walk in a specific day, a specific time. That he would come into the temple of God and that he would straighten things out. And that's what we saw last week. Jesus came in. He went to the temple Remember that place? It was supposed to be a house of prayer, but it had become a den of thieves. And Jesus cleans it out. On the following day, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they come to him and they, they want to know, by what authority have you done these things? And so Jesus, rather than answering their question, and I think he does answer their question, but listen, he gets to the deeper point. The point isn't necessarily where his authority comes from. It's what are you going to do with him? And that's still the point today. What are you going to do with Christ? What do you do with Jesus? We don't get to come to Christ on our terms. We come to Christ in his terms. According to his word. What he laid out. So this is what he said to the Pharisees. He said to the scribes and Pharisees, Well, when when we answer the question of authority, let me ask you a question. Where did the authority of John the Baptist come from? From heaven or from men? In other words, was John the Baptist sent from God, like the scripture declares him to be, or was he just another guy? And the Pharisees reason among themselves. They come together, not because they want to answer the question truthfully. They're trying to figure out how not to get trapped. We might get trapped here. So they say, if we say that John's anointing came from God, then Jesus is going to ask us why we didn't listen to him. But if we say his anointing was just from men, the people will hate us because they all count him a prophet. So they came to Jesus and they said, we don't know where his authority came from. So Jesus said, well, then I'm not going to tell you where my authority comes from, but I'm going to tell you three parables. Remember, parable, parabolas, it means to cast alongside an illustration that reveals a deeper, deeper truth. You remember the first parable, we talked about it, right? It was two sons. And a father went to one son and said, son, will you go work in the vineyard? And the son said, man, I don't want to work in the vineyard. It's lame, I'm tired of doing that stuff. You know, dad, just do it yourself. But later as he left, his heart was grieved over the words he had with his father, and he went in the field and did the job. He went to his other son, 
And he said, son, will you go work in the field? And that son, he, he had all kind of flowery speech. Oh, yeah, dad, for sure, I'll go do it. But he didn't do it. Jesus asked them, which one did the will of the father? And the Pharisees said, the first one. So Jesus' response to them was, in like manner, tax collectors and harlots will enter into the kingdom of heaven before you do. Because they heard the message of John and repented. And when you saw their changed life, you didn't repent. You just stayed on your road. Your road, your path of indifference. You won't repent. That was a problem with with the Pharisees and the scribes. And that's a problem with people today. Repentance is a requirement. We come to Christ knowing we're a sinner. If you come to Christ knowing you're not a sinner, then you haven't come to Christ. Then Jesus told him a second story. He said, a man owed a vineyard. And he lent it out to these guys. And Isaiah chapter 5 tells us the vineyard is Israel. and the, So it's a, it's a picture of the nation of Israel. And God being the, the owner of the vineyard. And here's what happens. The Lord lent it out. And so he sent his servants to collect the, the fruit of the vineyard. And they beat his servants. So he sent out more servants. And then they killed those servants. And then he said, they'll respect my son. So they sent his son. And when the son came, they said, oh, we can take him. And then the land will be ours. So they took the son outside the vineyard and killed him. Jesus asked this question. What will the owner of the vine, the vineyard, do to those people? And the scribes and the Pharisees answer. He's going to utterly destroy them. And then the light came on for the scribes and the Pharisees and they realized that he told that parable about them. We already know from the chapters previous that they're scheming already on how to kill Jesus. Now, Palm Sunday today, we're four days from the cross. Four days from Jesus being crucified. The 10th of Nisan is when the lamb, the Passover lamb, is brought to be inspected by the priest. What you're reading is the inspection of the priest. And upon inspection, upon their inspection of Jesus Christ, they're going to declare that he must die, that he is fit to be the Passover lamb. That's why John the Baptist, when he pointed at Christ, said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It was for that purpose that he had come. But he wants the scribes and the Pharisees and those who are struggling with whether or not they're going to accept the invitation of God to enter into a relationship with him. He wants them to realize upon rejection, there is no other hope. There's no other road. There's no other place that you can go. So by the very word that the chief priests and the Pharisees say, that judgment is going to befall the nation in 40 years. In 40 years' time. Exactly what they said when Jesus asked them, what will they do? Happens. 40 years after the rejection of Jesus Christ. It says in verse 46 of chapter 21, But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude, because they took him for a prophet. So we come to chapter 22, continuing in the same vein, same story, same thought. 
Let's read it together. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables, and he said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. And they sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, but they were not willing to come. Again he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and the fatted cattle are killed. All things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it, and they went their own way, one to his farm, another to his business. And the rest seized the servants and treated them spitefully and killed them. When the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited are not worthy. Therefore, go to the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have a wedding garment. So he said, friend, how is it that you came in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. So the king said to the servants, bind him, hand and foot. Take him away and cast him in the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for the truth of your word, God. And Lord, we pray that your spirit would indeed give us ears to hear. Lord, that you would guide us and lead us according to the truth of your word. Father, that our hearts would be towards you. God, that we would realize and recognize that the invitation has gone out. And the question is, will you come? God, I pray that you would anoint this time with the power of your presence as we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus told them another parable. He told them a parable about a king and the wedding of his son. Now when we consider this, here's what I want to make sure that we kind of keep our focus on. And that is, the story is about the king's son and his wedding. It's not a story about us and the importance of men. It's a story about the importance of the king's son. It's it's him. It's keeping Jesus Christ central. When we look at the story, it's obvious to us that the king is God the Father. That the son is Jesus Christ, his son, sent to gather or create or for himself draw a bride. Now listen, we go back to the book of Genesis. We remember, right? Adam and Eve. The Bible says that, that God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he went into Adam's side, removed a rib, and from that rib he fashioned a woman. Well, Jesus Christ did the same thing. Scripture calls him the second Adam. The second Adam, at the cross, on the cross, when they went, the the Roman soldier came to break his legs. When they came to Jesus, they realized he was already dead. So they thrust a spear in his side, and out of his side flowed blood and water, the very fluid of birth. And what did he birth? What was born from his side? Church. The church called the Bride of Christ. 
Now, a lot of times when we talk about the bride of Christ, we, we get all weird about it. Don't get weird about it. Listen, this is what God is calling a relationship with Him. He's making it this, the, the similitude. It's similar to that relationship between a groom and his bride. The groom being Jesus Christ. The way that, that we as men or as women would, would be in that type of a relationship. That's the picture God paints a relationship with Him. Man, it's... It's us and him till the wheels fall off. His focus, his desire, his plans, his, his goal for our life, all wrapped up in that picture of what it is at the wedding. And the, the, the call here in this parable is a call to say, will you come? Will you come? Will you answer the invitation? But it's not the first time that Scripture laid out for us this concept of, of the relationship between God and the, the church or the nation of Israel or with people together being that of a, of a wedding. Listen, John the Baptist said the same thing. Just, just turn to the right a few pages. You come to John chapter 3. You turn right, you'll come to John chapter 3 about verse 28. Probably one of my favorite sections of Scripture dealing with John the Baptist. And as John the Baptist is talking to the very same chief priests, scribes, and Pharisees that were now accusing Jesus, listen to what John said to them. In John chapter 3, verse 28, You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, the joy of mine is fulfilled, for he must increase and I must decrease. Listen, John, when the same guys are asking John, who are you? Whose authority are you here for? Who told you to start baptizing people? What's going on? And remember, remember, John grew up with those guys. They hung out. You know, they were all part of the Levitical priesthood. They went to Levitical priesthood barbecues. Yeah, they had those. They hung out. They went to the parks. They grew up together. They played games together. Now, the same guys he grew up with are saying, John, what are you doing out here in camel skin and eating locusts and honey? What are you, what are you doing all this for? And John said, they said, are you the Christ? And he said, no, I told you I'm not the Christ. I'm the friend of the bridegroom. See the picture of the wedding? I'm the friend of the bridegroom, man. He, he, the one who has come, the Messiah, he's the bridegroom, and he's coming for his bride. He's coming to get her. He's coming to pull her out from, from the world. He's coming to, to draw her unto himself. So he lays out for us that same picture. That same picture we see fulfilled in the last book of the Bible. While you're there in John, just flip all the way to the end. As you go to the end... You'll come to the book Revelation. You want to be in Revelation chapter 19. And we turn to Revelation chapter 19, about verse 7. We'll pick it up. As we come to that section, we see the same picture. The same picture of the wedding. In Revelation 19, verse 7, it says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his wife has made herself ready. 
And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. At the return of Christ, at the marriage supper, as his bride is complete, As much as I'd love to tell you the bride is complete today, she's not. The bride is made up of all those who will answer the invitation. All those who will hear the call of God and respond. And when they have fully responded, the scripture lays out for us, there will come a day. Jesus Christ will return with his bride for the marriage supper of the Lamb. So when Jesus is telling this parable, keep in mind, it is an illustration cast alongside a greater truth to help us understand what's going on, what's happening for them, what's happening for us. And as Jesus lays this concept out, it was not a new concept for them. All throughout the Old Testament we see this. But as we look at the story, it says the kingdom of heaven is like this king. And the king arranged a marriage for his son... And he sent his servants to call those who were invited. He says to call those who were already invited. Here's the picture you got to understand in a Hebrew wedding. The invitations went out a long time ago. The people all received the invitation. This is what the invitation would say. Hey, there is a wedding coming up. And when it's ready, I will call and you will come. So they would be aware... At any moment, this wedding, the call for the wedding will come. And when it comes, we're going to go hang out. They had a seven-day wedding party. It was a wedding feast. For seven days, they gathered together and celebrated the union of this man and, and this woman. And so they were excited. It was a happy time, filled with joy. So the king is ready. Now, keep in mind, it's not just the average guy. This is a king. Usually when the king hollers, the people come. The king had sent out the invitations, and now he sends out his servants. And he says they they called them to tell them the wedding's ready, but they were not willing. They didn't care. Don't you see the picture? There is Jesus standing before the chief priests, the scribes, and the Pharisees, the nation of Israel. And as he stands before them in the place of the temple, he says, the kingdom of heaven is what? At hand. It's ready. It's prepared. Everything is set. All you have to do is respond to the invitation. But their response to the invitation is not to respond. To ignore it. A cool indifference. A cool indifference. We're busy. We got something else going on. The king sent the servants out, and the first time they come out, they were not willing to come. That in itself would be a pretty big insult to the king. Probably in most history stories that had a story like this involving the king, the king would then kill the people, chop off their heads, put them on pikes all around the town, and then ask people if they want to come to the wedding again. It's amazing how the second time he asks, he gets a better response, right? But that's not the king of glory. That's not our God of grace. He asked and they insult him. 
So in verse 4, look how verse 4 begins. Again, he sent out servants saying. So he sends them out to him again. Reaching out. Listen, Romans 9, 10, and 11 tell us a story of God reaching out to the nation of Israel over and over again. And as he would reach out to save, they would slap his hands away. And as he would reach out to save, they would slap his hands away again. But he didn't raise up in judgment. He continued to reach out. The scripture says, all day long, I reach out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. All day long, he's offering the gift of salvation All day long, he's saying, listen, I've got an opportunity. I can help. I can save. First, they just ignore him. First, they just give cool indifference. Look what the scripture says in verse 4. One man's excuse. See, I have prepared dinner. The king saying, everything's ready. Listen, the, the meal's ready, the ox is ready, the fatted cattle are killed. All things are ready, come. But they made light of it. And they said, one said, I have to go to my farm. I have to go work on the farm. I don't have time to answer the call of God. I don't have time to respond to the love of God. I got stuff to do on the farm. You know, farm won't wait. Right? Farms got to, things got to happen when they got to happen. But the call of the king was coming out, and that was the excuse. I got to go to the farm. The second guy, the the second one was another said, I have to go to work. I got to go to business. Life is busy, man. There's a lot of stuff happening all the time. Does anybody not know life's busy? Does anybody not know that men have to work and that things have to happen? Sure, all those things have to happen, but they cannot make us deaf to the invitation of God that says, Come. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, Jesus said, and I will give you rest. That's the call. The call is out there. His hands are outstretched. Outstretched to you, outstretched to me. Will we receive the invitation and say, Yes, I'll come. I'll come. I qualify as one who labors and is heavy laden. I qualify as one who wants rest, who wants to find peace. And Jesus is saying that peace is in him. But you see, they're too busy. Too many things are happening. Too much is going on. So in verse 6 it says, Then the rest seized the servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. So their first response that God's appeal is out to him. He's laid out that appeal. I love, I love the book of Hosea. Hosea is kind of an interesting book in the Old Testament. We read the book of Hosea. God said to his prophet Hosea, Hosea, I want you to go and marry a prostitute. You don't get that kind of advice all the time from God. So Hosea is thinking, okay, Lord. And Hosea Hosea lives, his life becomes an example of his relationship with God compared to his relationship with his wife who won't stay with him. Now, in that book, God, speaking through that prophet in Hosea chapter 11, he says this, just listen, just listen to the love that God has for his people. 
He says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Just as they called them, so they went from them. They sacrificed to Baal and burned incense to carve images, but I taught Ephraim to walk. I took him by his arm, but they did not know that I healed them. I drew him with gentle cords, with bands of love. I was to them as those who take the yoke from off their neck, and I stooped to feed them. The picture is God bringing the nation of Israel, and the picture is like that of a child. A child that's being abused in a land of Egypt. And he takes that child, and he's careful, and he's taking care of him. He pulls him out of Egypt. And then he goes on to say, I'm the one who takes the yoke off of you. Remember what Jesus said? All you who labor and are heavy laden, come unto me, and I will give you rest. What's he say next? Yeah, take my yoke upon you, for my burden is easy. My burden is light. My, my yoke is easy, well-fitting. My burden is light. He, he's taking the yoke off. He's prepared for them. He's stooping down and feeding them. And the love that God has for the people who are constantly slapping away the hand of God. But all day long, God continues to reach. All day long, God continues to call. Whosoever will hear. The appeal that God makes is strong, but the people are apathetic. They don't care. It's not even enough that it matters to them. It doesn't make any difference. It doesn't matter at all. And then we see, not only were they apathetic, but they, their attitude was hostile. Then they killed them. They killed the, the, the guys, the servants. Who were the servants? The prophets. The prophets that came. The prophets that came and told the people about the love of God. Hosea. Isaiah, who's sawn in two. Elijah, Elisha. Prophets that we don't even know the names of. But the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 that the world was not even a fit place for them. They came to share the invitation of God. And the people, rather than receiving the invitation, killed them. They smote them. They're hostile. They're hateful. But you see, that was not new to the Lord, was it? Listen, it shouldn't be new to us either. If we, if we just turn with me to John chapter 15, just, just head back over to John, the 15th chapter, verse 19. Here's Jesus' words of encouragement to us in a hostile land that we are to bring an invitation to. Jesus said in John 15, 19, if you were of the world, the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, the world hates you. Remember the word that I have said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they keep my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. Because they don't know God, they're going to slap away your hand just like they slap away his. But does that mean that then we're, we're not supposed to go, that we're not supposed to tell, that we're not supposed to share? 
The last thing that Jesus calls us to do in Matthew chapter 28 is to go to all nations making disciples of all men. That means we take the invitation to everyone who will listen. Everyone who will hear. Tell them about the love of God, the grace of God, the invitation to come and be a part. But Jesus says some of those people that you take that to, they're going to want to slap away your hand. In some places around the world, they do more than that, don't they? In some places around the world, they kill. Simply because you're trying to share the invitation of God. It's either truth or it's not. If it's true, we ought to tell people, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we be about doing the things that God's called us to do? Paul would say this. They have a form of godliness, but they deny His power. Isn't that who the Pharisees are? Isn't that who the people are here? Jesus is standing before the religious leaders of the nation. But they don't recognize the invitation. And they're going to kill the Son. And they killed the prophets before them. In Acts chapter 7, when Stephen is is given his rebuke to the same guys, he says to them, which of the prophets have you not killed? Which ones didn't you slay? And when he spoke those words to them, they were so mad at him that they gnashed their teeth, they picked up stones, and they killed him right there. You remember when they crucified Jesus, they took him to Pilate, right? They didn't want to do it themselves. They were so mad at Stephen, the same guys, they just picked up stones and killed him in the street. Well, nobody cared. It was just another one of them pesky Christians who are constantly badgering us, constantly telling us about this invitation. We don't want to go. So they kill him. But Paul would also say in the book of Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Not ashamed to be who I'm supposed to be, but I need to know going into it, just like Jesus, the same attitude they have toward Him is the attitude that we will find toward us. It's an attitude of hostility. But the story in Matthew 22 goes on. What does it say next? It says, after they killed him, it says, the king heard about it and was furious. The king heard about it and was furious. Matthew 21, it says, they took the son outside of the vineyard, just like they take Jesus Christ outside of the city of Jerusalem, and they kill him outside the city. In the same way, they, they kill the prophets. They slaughter those before him. But you know... The concept that Jesus shares here in verse 6, when he says, or in verse 7, when he says, The king heard about it and was furious, and he sent out his armies to destroy the murderers and burn up their city. It wasn't new. It wasn't new. Listen, turn to the left in your Bible to the book of Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Fifth book of the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 28. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, Moses, as he's laying out the law, in the first five books of the Bible for the Hebrew was called the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch was the most important part of the Bible to them. They memorized the first five books. So they're familiar with these scriptures. They're familiar with what the scriptures say. And what you have in Deuteronomy chapter 28 is a description 
of what happens in 70 AD when Titus Vespasian comes in against Jerusalem and sets up a siege as the Romans conquer and obliterate the nation of Israel in 70 AD they cease to exist until 1948 there was no nation there was no Israel the reason people point to Israel as the greatest example of the truth of God's word is because God's word said they would cease to exist and then they would be born again they would come again as a nation and we see that happen in 1948 Almost 2,000 years, they didn't exist. And then they did. But in Deuteronomy chapter 28, listen to the description. Listen to what God said would come on the days when they rejected the invitation, when they killed the Messiah, when they turned their back on, on what God was doing. Deuteronomy 28, beginning at verse 49, says, The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies, a symbol of the nation of Rome. A nation whose language you do not understand, a nation of fierce countenance. And they do not respect the elderly, nor show favor to the young. And they will eat the increase of your livestock and the produce of your land until you are destroyed. They will not leave you grain or new wine or oil, or the increase of your cattle or the offspring of your flocks until they have destroyed you. They will besiege you at your gates until your high and fortified walls in which you trust come down throughout all the land. They will besiege you at all your gates throughout all your land which the Lord your God has given you. And you will eat the fruit of your own body, the flesh of your sons and your daughters, whom the Lord your God has given you, in the siege and the desperate straits in which your enemy will distress you. The sensitive, very refined man among you will be hostile toward his brother, toward the wife of his bosom, and toward the rest of his children whom he leaves behind. So he will not give any of them the flesh of the child whom he will eat, because he has nothing left in the siege, the desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you at all your gates. By the way, it gets worse. And that's exactly what happened at the siege. You see, you can make yourself look like anything. You can stand up and paint yourself pretty, put on neat new clothes, have a nice haircut, and look holy and righteous. You can look like a good person on the outside. But God has a way of showing those same good people who think they're good. And I don't need a savior. I'm not really a sinner. So what he does is he takes away all their food, all their freedom, and he leaves them left with who they are in reality, not the mask they put on for everyone else. And he says, in that just, refined, good-looking young man who everybody would point to and say, he's a good guy, is going to despise his children, despise his brother, despise his wife, and eat his kids. Because that's who he is in his heart. But he won't answer the invitation because he believes what he sees in the mirror. He believes what people tell him. I spoke to people like that. I've, I've stood and talked to them and heard people tell me the reason they don't want to hear about Jesus is because I'm a good person. 
He was a good person who really ate his children. And he wasn't the only one. Because God took his hand of blessing off of the nation. And this other nation came in judgment. And all of a sudden, when everything wasn't rosy, and when everything wasn't good, the truth of who he was came out. The truth is not the guy dressed up looking all good on the outside. The truth is what happens when the chips are down. Do you understand that? It's not how good you can be when things are good. It's how do you respond when things are terrible. The unregenerate, unrepentant man who does not have a new heart within him. That's who he is in reality. He just looks better on the outside. That's why Jesus said to the Pharisees, You are whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. On the outside you look good, but the day is coming when you're going to walk around the city and look for who you can rip off and who you can steal and whose who's little one who recently has perished out of starvation that you can go take and eat. Because that's who you are, really. And that's a hard reality to swallow. Because we like to talk about being a good person. We like it when people talk about us being good people. But the scripture tells us there is none righteous, no, not one. There are no good people. There are none. Uh, Life gets hard enough. We are all capable of what this guy did. All of us need a spirit of the living God within us. That's why God sends out the invitation. And if we recognize who we are apart from Christ, we recognize the beauty of that invitation that I don't deserve. And we take it. So he said in Matthew 22, the king destroyed and burned up the city. Hey, prophetically, this happens in 70 AD. This happens. It occurred. 1,500 years earlier, it was written about in Deuteronomy. It occurred in history. Titus really did those things. The people in the siege really did those things. They really occurred. They really happened. But then look what happened. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is still ready, but those who were invited, initially salvation is of the Jew, went to the Jew first. When Paul went around, where did he go? When he went to a town, he went to the Jew first. And when the Jew rejected it, slapped away the hands, he went to the Gentile. But then he says in Romans, listen, Gentiles, don't start thinking so highly of yourself. He has grafted you in. You are just as capable of slapping away the hands of God as they were. People are the same wherever you go. Kids are the same wherever you go. I've been lots of places. Whether it was Russia or the jungles of Peru. They're all the same. They speak different languages, but our behavior is much the same. We still have a tendency to be drawn into cliques. We still will pick on the weak. We still do that stuff. Doesn't matter where you are. We all have need of a Savior. We all have need of Him. So listen, the king says, I want you to go. Those who were initially invited, those who slap away the hands of God, they're not worthy. They're not worthy of the invitation. So 
Go into the highways and as many as you find, invite them to the wedding. I want you to picture this because we, you can miss it. We, when we read the Bible, sometimes we read the Bible like we're in church. We got to stop that. We read the Bible. We want to read the Bible in such a way that we understand what he's saying. Okay, here's what he's saying. Picture yourself living in a, in a big city. Now, people who live in all the towns and the houses, they're rejecting. They're rejecting the message. So he says, go to the highways and byways and invite whoever's there. Who's living under the bridge? Who's living out in the field? Who's been cast out of society? Who's been put out in all these places? When he says, go to the highways and byways, he says, go to the rejects. Go to the people nobody wants. Go to the people who've been hated. Go to the people who, who people look at and say, no, nah, that's a bad person. And so you, so you go and invite them. Because they know who they are. At the time of Christ, as today, if you walk up to a prostitute and ask her if she's a sinner, she's not going to say, nope, I'm a good person. She don't have no qualms about who she is. That's the kind of person God can save. Not the one who believes the picture in the mirror of how good they are. So he said, go to the highways and byways. Go to the homeless. Go to the guys thrown out. Go to the guys nobody wants to talk to. You go to them and you bring to them the truth of the invitation. You invite them. So the scripture says that's what they did. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all they found. Remember our study in the Greek, right? Does everybody understand? Remember the study of the Greek? What's all? All means all, and that's all All means, right? So all is never going to mean some. All means all. Oh, thank you. I, I really appreciate it. It's good to know people learn. <clears throat> so, listen, they gathered together all. Look at the next phrase. All they found, both who? Bad and good. Oh, What's another way of saying that? Lovely and unlovely. Outcast and incast. They went out to those places and they invited and God's spirit starts to move. And when God's spirit starts to move and people start coming to the Lord, you know what happens? People get saved good and bad. The people from the street, they know they're sinners, they come. And then the people watch and go, wow, look at those changed lives. Look at what God's doing. Man, I want God to do that work in my life. And they come to the realization of who they are. That they're not really good people. They just look good on the outside. But they're not really bad people. They just look bad on the outside. We're all the same. We come to Christ and He gives us that perfect work. And that's what this scripture is picturing. So they come. From the highways and the byways. Man, if we went around and we told all our stories, you'd be scared. No, I would not be. You would too. <laughs> Joe and Judy Greif. Everybody know Joe and Judy Greif? Joe and Judy were up here with the kids. Aren't they awesome? Man, they do an awesome work with the kids. <laughs> they do a good thing, a good work. Man, it's pretty cool, huh? Do you know their story? you know that Joe was the original Easy Rider? That he bought a Harley and was riding across the country, just stopped where he stopped, went where he went. You picture him that way as he sits there with his guitar, and he plays, and you look at him, and you think, oh my goodness, he's so good. 
And he's so holy. Man, he looks like he'd been in church forever. He was a biker. Judy was not any better. I can say this because they're not in here right now. Oh no, Joe's in here. Sorry, Joe. <laughs> Judy's a, a flower child. Joe's, he's a his raucous biker, just living in a parking lot, going to school. I mean, they are real people that come from real life that God touched and changed and made them into who they are today. People who love Jesus Christ very much. Everybody started somewhere. Do we know that? We all start someplace. We all come from somewhere and we're going somewhere else. And we're all in various points in our journey. Some of us further along, some of us further behind. But it's okay. So we're all wanting to go to the same place, man. We're all headed to Christ. And fulfilling that call that He wants to do, that work He wants to do. So we want to allow Him to do that work. Well, the scripture goes on to tell us, both both <laughs> it happens. Both bad and good. The wedding hall was filled with the guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who didn't have a wedding garment. Now some people trip out on this. I don't want you to trip out. I want you to realize that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. All roads do not lead to God. All roads do not lead to salvation. Just so you don't get lost, God made it simple. One road leads to salvation. One way to salvation, that is to place your trust in God. To receive the invitation, to put your hope in Him, and He does the work. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except by me. When the king went to the highways and byways, when he went to the homeless people, do you really think the homeless people had some cool duds to wear to the wedding? If you do, you haven't seen homeless people. No, they don't have the clothes. It was customary in those days when the king would invite people to the, that he gave them their wedding garments. Revelation 19 told us what the wedding garment is. Did you read it? The righteousness of the saints. Well, what's our righteousness? Is it mine? For he who, he who knew no sin became sin for me that what? I might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ clothes me with his righteousness. The garment comes from him. You understand what I'm saying? You cannot stand before God outside of the garment that Jesus Christ gives you. If you do, you're trying to come to God on your terms. You can't come to God on your terms. Trust me. You don't want to stand before Almighty God on your terms. You want to stand before Almighty God with His Son beside you saying, This is my brother. Because that's what's necessary to bring us in to that relationship. That's what's necessary. We've got to have that. Well, the king sees somebody. The king came to see the guests. He saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. He's not clothed. He was given it, but he wouldn't put it on. He's trying to get in the back door. He probably thinks he's a relatively good guy. The king asks him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? How did you get in without a wedding garment? Because nobody gets in without a wedding garment. 
Nobody gets in without the righteousness of Christ that is imputed into you based on your willingness to receive the invitation and put your trust in Him. Nobody comes. None. No, not one. The Scripture says He was speechless. What's hidden in that phrase, He is speechless, is this concept. He had the garment, He didn't want to wear the garment, and now He has no answer. You want to see an example of that again? Read the book of Revelation. Come to the great white throne judgment. When every man who ever lived is going to stand before Almighty God, every man who was not saved, every man who did not put his trust in Christ, will stand before Almighty God. And the Bible says when God brings His judgment upon them, every mouth will be shut. Every person will be speechless. Because every person will realize he gave the invitation and I slapped away the hand. So I have no answer. He gave the wedding garment to me. All I had to do was put it on. He was speechless. So the king says, bind him hand and foot. Take him away. Cast him into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's talking about hell. He's not just talking about put him outside in the dark. He's talking about hell. You see the picture. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Everything's prepared. It's all ready. The invitations are sent. It's time to come. It's time to answer the call. The last scripture that he gives us this morning, for many are called... And few are chosen. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, that we were elect of God. That is an active middle voice in the Greek. It means that God did the work and it did not depend on you at all. He picked you. And it tells us when he picked you. Do you know when God picked you? He picked you right after you did your first good thing. No. (laughs) God picked you before the world was created. That's when he picked you. What good thing had you done before God created the world? None. What bad thing had you done before God created the world? None. He chose you. How do I know if I'm his chosen? You answered the call. Or many were called. What's the story? Many were invited, right? So who were the chosen? The few who came. Who answered. Who received. To as many as believed on his name, to them gave he the authority to become sons of God. To as many as received. The Bible tells us according to God's foreknowledge. He knows who's going to choose and who's not going to choose. And I don't really have to understand it. Do you, are you aware that Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tell us not to lean into our own understanding? Better get used to that. Studying the word. I don't understand why God did this. Well, you know what he told Job? He told Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? Where were you when I created the angels? When the sons of God sang on that first morning, where were you? 
And you know what Job was after it was all said and done? Speechless. God knows what he's doing. And you can know and understand these things. But the truth is still the truth. Many are called. Few are chosen. Few are the elect. Few are the ones who answer. Few are the ones who receive the invitation and who answer the call. And the question for us, as the question is for everyone else in the world, which are you? Are you the many who are called? Hey, if we all sat down and said, how many invitations have you heard? How many invitations to come to the Lord? How many invitations to trust Him? How many invitations to turn your back on all the chaos in the world and receive the truth in Christ? If we counted it, there'd be a lot, wouldn't there? Because many are called. You want to know if you're chosen of God or not? You're the ones who answer the call. Who receive. Who believe. Who trust. The wedding's ready. The table is set. The pieces are moving. The end is coming. Who are you going to be? The elect? The chosen? Or just the ones who received the invitation and ignored it? We have an opportunity this morning to enter into a time of the Lord's Supper. But before we do that, I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up and we'll get ready to worship so that we can move on into communion. But before we do that, I want to give everybody an opportunity. Invitation is not just floated out there for you to ignore. Don't slap away the hands of God. Let me tell you how easy it is to receive the invitation of God. To say, I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that God raised Him from the dead, that He forgave me of my sins, that I am a sinner, and I need a Savior. And I put my faith and trust in you, Jesus Christ. That's it. There's not some special prayer. Search the Scriptures and see if you find one. The Bible says, Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, what? You shall be saved. Got to believe. Got to put our trust in Him. So we're going to have an opportunity to do that. We're going to have a moment of prayer. Go before the Lord. You can do it from where you're sitting. You can do it from anywhere at any time. But here's my encouragement to you. Don't ignore the invitation. Don't ignore the invitation. That judgment that came to Israel is coming to the whole world. It will come. There will be that opportunity. I encourage you. Answer. Come to the wedding. The marriage supper of the Lamb is going to be an awesome time. Let's go before the Lord. Father, as we just come before you this morning, Father God, I just want to give opportunity to those who may be here, those who have heard the invitation maybe multiple times, but they have not answered. God, I just pray that right now your spirit would move in a mighty way upon their heart. 
pray God that no more they would make excuses or slap away the hand of God, but they just receive the free gift and realize all along that God knew they were going to do it from the foundation of the world. That they would become the chosen today. Father, we ask as your spirit is moving and as your spirit is is laying upon their hearts, Father, that they would do just the simplest of things, the simplest of things, that they would just, where they are in the body right now, just stand up. Don't got to go nowhere. Don't got to run no place. Don't even have to dance a jig. Just stand up where you are. As we come before you this morning, Lord, and we ask that your spirit move in this place, we extend the invitation. Jesus is calling. Will you answer? Will you receive? All that we need is the touch point of faith. Father, as we come before you, as we prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper, the body and blood of Christ, Jesus said, if you don't eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part of me. Not how much you know about him, it's, is he in you? Is he in you? God, prepare our hearts through this time of communion. Prepare our hearts for the truth that as we come before, until the day that you come for your bride, until the day you come to gather us unto yourself, you call us to remember the Lord's death till he come. As we worship, Lord, move in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.